We're going to be in a, a passage that is very dear to me in the New Testament. It's Colossians chapter 3. And I want to start this morning by telling you a story that's going to seem very unrelated, but it's not, I promise. Uh, when I was in high school and early on in college, my friends and I, we used to like to put on a haunted house. And we did that because there is just an incredible joy that comes from scaring another person. And if you're not familiar with that, then you've, you've been deprived, and I'm sorry for that. But, but to, to have a scare happen and a person jump and make that sound, you know that sound, and to know you're the reason, it's just, it's just wonderful. And so we would, uh, we would put together this haunted house, and, one, and I had a variety of different roles at these haunted houses, but one year in particular, there was a table. And on this table, there was this, this long and thick um, tablecloth. And on it sat several different items that were just kind of strange. And they were encouraged to touch them. And so one of them was like a big, uh, fuzzy, fake, obviously, spider, right? And, you know, could you, could you touch it? Some of you would be okay with that and some of you not. And, and there was a, a bowl that had some, like, slime in it. And there was a hand. And when they touched the hand... The hand would grab them because I was under the table and had and reached my hand through, covered by the tablecloth, so they would touch my hand and I would, I would grab them. And every single time, two things happened. One, I heard the scream, right, which was the payoff and the joy. And then I couldn't see what, someone or something struck my hand in anger. We only did that part of it for a short while because my fingers were pretty worn out after a while. And while it was fun, it wasn't, it wasn't worth the damage that was happening. But it's, it was odd to me that, I mean, obviously the hand grabbing uh, when you're not expecting it to would be scary. But, but a part of the body disconnected from the rest of the body, there's just something strange about it. Strange enough that it belongs at a table of strange things. Any part of the body disconnected by itself, apart from the rest, can't, can't function in any way that we would want it to. And there's just something deep within us that, that senses, feels, experiences it as wrong. A hand is supposed to be connected to a body. In the same way, each of us alone not connected to the body, are deeply, deeply flawed. We're missing something. We're not supposed to be separate. We're supposed to be connected. And the, the benefits and value that comes from that is, is more than we have time to talk about this morning. But a person is supposed to be connected. And that leads us to the single-sentence sermon summary this morning, which is this. The church is only the body of Christ if broken sinners come together. The church is only the body of Christ if broken sinners come together. See, if we're all part of the body and we're disconnected, then the body doesn't work. A hand can't do anything on its own. We have to come together. 
And I refer to us all there as broken sinners. It's an interesting thing, really, to realize your own brokenness. For some people, they're aware of it for most of their lives. For other people, they, they may go through their whole life blissfully unaware of the ways that they're incomplete or flawed or broken. For many of us, though, there's this point of self-realization. In my, in my case, it was in my, my early to mid-20s. I was an intern here, and it was a wonderful experience, and I had a mentor, Pastor Dylan, who helped me a great deal. And one of the things that he did is he helped me to see my own inadequacies, my own struggles, to really understand not only my strengths, but also my weaknesses. I might not sound like a very fun experience, and let me assure you, it's not, but it's a very valuable one to understand that there are things that you simply cannot do. There are places where you simply are not strong. No matter how much you might want to be an island unto yourself, we are all broken and inadequate alone. Now, some of us, we try very hard to ignore our flaws, or some of us know they're there, but we never acknowledge or talk about them. We might work on them, but we don't like their existence to be known. We feel a need to hide them. Some of us don't mind people seeing our flaws. We're willing to be open, but then maybe we have a hard time actually working on them. It feels like we should be accepted just as we are. And all of us should be accepted and loved and encouraged to be better, right? But how you are with your flaws is different for each person. And so I'd like to ask you, I don't, I don't want you to answer out loud, but think for a moment. What are your flaws? In what ways are you inadequate? All right, we're all broken. We're all flawed. Hold that in mind. And that's all of us. That's, that's me, that's you, that's every person. We're going to come back to that. In Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, he writes one of the most beautiful descriptions of the Christian life I've ever read. We're not going to go through the entire thing, but, but I do want to encourage you to do something. If you're someone who circles or underlines or highlights in your Bible at the chapter heading, just do that here. This is a chapter to learn by heart. This is a chapter to read again and again and again because it is so very, very important. We're going to look at the first two verses to start with. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So the trick to growth, to becoming like Jesus... Contrary to what I asked you to do a moment ago, is not to just focus on the things you're bad at. We need to know what they are, and we're going to need to know them here in a minute. But the, 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 the focus should not be, how am I bad at something and dwelling? In what ways am I broken and dwelling on that? Now, I need you to hear this. Struggling against temptation is important. I'm not telling you otherwise. 
If you know that you are tempted in a certain way, when that temptation comes up saying, you know, Pastor Clayton said, I'm just not supposed to dwell on this, so it's fine. That's not what I'm saying. Of course, we need to resist temptation when it comes. Of course, we need to avoid situations in which we might be tempted. Our brokenness, our flaws are not something for us to embrace and be okay with. However, Paul says here that what we're supposed to set our mind and heart on are not the flaws and brokenness inside. Instead, we're supposed to set them on things above. And it's interesting to do that, to to think about actually setting your mind on something, to be intentional about it. This isn't something that just happens. It's something that we need to do on purpose. We focus not just on the flaw, but on how God wants us to grow. Not just on the flaw, but on how God wants us to grow. And and part of this is this. We've all made mistakes in our past. We've all done wrong in our past. But I need you to hear this because we can get hung up there. If you're someone that dwells on what you've done wrong, if you're someone that, that... that dwells and sits in and thinks about the mistakes that you've made, the guilt that you carry, the shame that you experience, I want you to hear this right now. God is much more interested in what you're becoming than what you've done. God is so much more interested in what you're becoming than in what you've done. You see, he's already forgiven that. It's In the past, it's over. What God wants to to have you focus on, what Paul tells you to set your heart and your mind on, is what you're becoming, how you need to grow. How God is working in you now. Now, Paul goes on here in Colossians 3, and he describes this really long list of things you're not supposed to do. And I'm not going to go through that this morning. You're, You're encouraged to read it, but... Uh, It's not all that important for for purposes of the sermon this morning. You know what your temptations are, and you know what things you struggle with that you're not supposed to do. If you're not sure, you can find them in the list Paul makes here in Colossians 3. But you know what those are. So Paul says, don't do those things that you already know you shouldn't do. But then he says this in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So, you know, I mentioned if you know what your flaws are. I want to I do an exercise here this morning, a thought exercise. I want everyone to think of an apple, right? Picture in your mind an apple. It doesn't matter if it's red or green. If it's an apple you, you, you have at home, just picture in your mind an apple. Do you have it? Now stop thinking about apples. If you try to stop thinking about apples, do you know what's going to happen? you're going to think about apples. If you try to not think about lust, you're going to find yourself caught up in lust. If you try to not dwell on anger, you're going to find yourself caught up 
in anger. You can't just focus on the flaws, the struggles, the temptation. That's not how transformation works. If you want to stop thinking about apples, you have to start thinking about oranges. You have to, you have to put something else in its place in your mind, right? You have to set your mind and your heart on something else. If you struggle with guilt and shame, you need to set your mind and heart on the future, not the past. If you struggle with prejudice, then you need to set your mind and heart on getting to know, on humanizing the ones you're prejudiced against. If you struggle with lust, you need to set your heart and your mind on the practice of seeing each person as a child of God. If it's deceit or complaint or gossip that you struggle with, then you need to set your mind and your heart on the idea that your words have a purpose, and that's to build up each other and glorify God. If you're focusing on using your words that way, the deceit and the complaint and the gossip starts to get smaller and smaller and smaller. Instead of thinking, don't complain, I think, what am I thankful for? Do you understand the difference there? Do you understand how the power present in that? Because if I focus only on what I don't want, I'll get caught up in it. But if I set my mind and my heart on things above, there's freedom and growth and transformation there. But then, there's something else here. You see, if I focus so much on my own flaws it's going to become incredibly easy for me to also focus on the flaws of the people around me. If I worry over and over and over again about the things I struggle with, if my battle is entirely against temptation and I see it in someone else's life, it's going to become very easy to zero in on their struggles like I zero in on mine. And when I, when I don't enjoy a person, or when I notice a person's flaws, and they just get stuck in my mind, and I can't see them for anything other than what's wrong about them, I'm doing them a disservice. I'm doing to them what Paul's telling me not to do to myself. I'm getting stuck on the brokenness on the flaw, on the failure. He goes on and he, he says in verses 13 and 14, bear with each other. I love that. Paul says bear with each other. It's as if he knew that we were sometimes going to have a hard time with each other. It's as if he understood that just because we all belong to Jesus doesn't mean we're going to love spending time with each and every person here. Bear with each other. In other words, don't don't just wait for them to be perfect. You need to know that they're not going to be. And Paul says, bear with them and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You know, there's a couple of aspects of of forgiveness. If I'm bothered, offended, distressed by something you've done, I have a couple of options. There's the bad options, right? I can just never tell you. I can move away and not sit next to you in church, right? I can move to the other side of the room. I can avoid you during greeting time. I can not sit next to you at mission meals. We can have the same church and never cross paths. That's a bad way to deal with someone who has offended you. Another way to to deal with it, a much better way, is when I'm bothered, I can go to you and we can figure it out. And I can tell you what it was, and most likely, you didn't even know. We can work it out, and we can grow stronger in our relationship because of that. And I think that's a good way to do things. We tend to be pretty bad about that. And I think we're bad about that because we're worried that a relationship isn't strong enough to endure it. We're worried because we don't want to have the conflicts or the consequences of it. But what if all of us were just willing to be okay with someone coming up to us and saying, this has bothered me, and I can't can't shake it. I need you to know. What if we could just do that? Think of how much closer we could become. And then there's another way. See, some things that bother you probably don't need to be confronted. Sometimes things can just be let go. Sometimes a difference between the way you look at the world and the way another person looks at the world will just cause a little bit of a conflict that you are aware of and they're not, and you can just let it go. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever been been bothered had someone say something that was just, just not right, or they, they brought up something they shouldn't have brought up, and, and you just decided to give them grace. You didn't even need to bring it up. You just let it go. Now, we can pretend to do that, and we've all done that before, right? I'm not going to talk to them. I'm just going to let it go. But then months later, you're still thinking about it. Here's a clue. You didn't let it go. Right? You're still harboring it. If you can't talk about it without tensing up, I'm not angry about it anymore. You didn't, you didn't let it go. You need to, you need to talk with them. You need, to, you need to get it out in the open. But most of the time, the small things, we can just let go. If a brother or sister that you know and love doesn't realize it's you and cuts you off in traffic, you probably don't need to chase them down and have that conversation out because you know it was a mistake because every time you do it to someone else, it's a mistake, right? Most things we can let go, but the things that we can't, Paul says, bear with each other, let them go if you can, and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. What if we put this into practice? What would happen? And he says here in verse 14, over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. 
You see, everyone is broken. Everyone is flawed. And that includes you. If you're sitting here this morning and you are unaware that you are also one of the flawed people, I'm sorry to tell, to tell you, but you are. And if you're not sure how, find a family member and ask. Get something to drink and sit down because you might be there for a while, right? Like all of us are deeply flawed and we know that. And we have to be careful not to see ourselves as better or worse than someone else because we're flawed in different ways than they are. Hear me. You're not worse because your struggles are different. As you look around, if you look around and you see people who are better than you, you're seeing with broken eyes because they're not. And if you sit here and you look around and you see people that are not as good as you, then you have broken eyes, because that's not true either. This isn't to say that every sin is exactly as damaging as every other sin. That's not what I mean, but every person is exactly as valuable as every other person. Every person is exactly as important as every other person. And if we are not connected to the body, if we let these, this brokenness, these flaws that we see in ourselves or in other people isolate us, then we're always going to be incomplete. And if we want to be, if Calvary wants to be a family of God's people, then our relationships need to be strong. Because I may struggle, but when I'm around you, there's someone to help me with it, to point it out, to correct me when I need it, to make up for the areas that I'm weak. You struggle, but when you're part of the family, there are those around you to help, to be strong in the areas you're weak, to listen and be taught by you in the areas that you're strong. That's what a family can be. And if we want to be formed by the gospel, we cannot just focus on our brokenness. We need to know what it is. You need to be aware of it. But we can't focus on it. We set our minds and our hearts on, the, on how God wants us to grow, not just what's wrong with us. And that also means we can't focus on anyone else's either. And if you're like me, sometimes that's easy and sometimes it's hard. But you can't focus on anyone else's flaws either. Now, of course, there are exceptions, and I need you to hear that. I'm not telling you that that person who has hurt you deeply or abused you, you need to just not focus on their flaws. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about in the course of daily life, in the course of a healthy family. You can't just focus on the flaws of the people around you. And there's one more thing here. The strengthening of relationships doesn't happen on accident. You can't just think about that person in the other's part of the room and say, okay, I want to be closer with them and do nothing about it. That's not how it works. It has to be intentional. And the stronger our relationships are, the stronger our family will be. So, 
How can we intentionally build relationships with one another? Well, we've been in this practice as part of our focus this year on eating and doing. And we've asked you to do a few things. We've asked you to create a habit of sharing a, a dinner around a table with the family at least once a week. We asked you to put the phones away, to not sit in front of the TV, but at least once a week to sit at the table and enjoy a meal together. And for some of you, that's already what you do every night. For some of you, the change has been easy. For some, I think it's probably been a struggle. That's okay. But I hope that you've been able to put that into practice. And then the next thing we, we asked you to do is to, to invite someone over to dinner that you're already comfortable with. Phase one was, was someone that's been there before or someone who, who you could easily see being at dinner, an easy person to invite. We asked you to, to invite them over. And we've asked you to aim for once a week. Now, here's the thing. Some of you have done that. Some of you have hit once a week, and that's wonderful. Some of you are just getting started or haven't started yet. That's okay. There's no judgment here. But I want to encourage you again to, to lean into this, to aim for it, because we're ready for phase two. The second part is inviting someone to dinner who's a friend you've never had over before. Someone that you've never had over before. I'm not asking you to go meet a new person and bring them. Someone you know. Someone that, that you already are comfortable with in a friendship. Invite them over. That could be a person here at church. In fact, I'd encourage you, if you're not sure who to invite, look around and pick someone. The next phase is going to be entirely focusing on Calvary people. But this one can be full of Calvary people for you too. Now, maybe you're, you're, you're thinking to yourself, I'm, I'm not at an age anymore where I can do this. That's okay. What if you joined with someone else? What if, you, what if you help them? I think there are probably people here who no longer feel like they're capable of being a host or a hostess, but have so much wisdom about how to do it that they could partner with a younger family to really be able to do that well. I think that would be an amazing way to go about this practice. Also, if you don't have a home that you feel comfortable bringing someone into, meet them at a restaurant. Just invite them to share a meal. And I really want to lean hard on this, and I want you to hear this. Our church will be as healthy as our relationships are. First and foremost, our relationship to Jesus. That is the first ingredient to a strong and healthy church, but also our relationships to one another. And so that person you don't know, change that. Get to know them. We're not big enough for you to have a good excuse to not know a lot of the people here. Or that person that things are tense with, invite them over. Or that person who just bothered you 20 years ago, put it behind you, invite them over. Whatever the case is, don't be afraid. There's no reason to be discouraged here. But I want to encourage you to be part of Calvary's relationships growing stronger. If you think about yourself as someone who just isn't good enough to do this, you're not a good enough host, no one wants to come to your home anyway, you're focusing on the brokenness, on the flaws, and you need to let that go. You need to turn your eyes outward. Because I guarantee you, 
that the people around you would love to share a meal with you. So I'd encourage you to do that, to reach out in faith. Now, if you haven't done it because this just seems silly to you, it's okay, I understand, it's different. But if we want to be a church that's strong in our relationships with one another, then this is the way that that happens. And, and by the way, that's something we are very, very good at. This is a church with strong relationships. We just want to make them stronger. So that's my encouragement to you today, is to jump into this eating and doing, to not let any distraction about yourself keep you from it, and not let any distraction about someone else keep you from inviting them, but to cross those boundaries and ask someone into your home and share a meal together. My hope is that in a month or so, we'll be able to say that every family here has stepped into this practice at least once. All right, let's pray. Father God, we come before you thankful for blessings, Lord. We love you and we praise you. God, you are good. You are so, so good. Holy Spirit, you have gifted this church in so many ways. You have given us a gift for relationships. You have, you have made us a family that way. But we ask, Lord, for your help in strengthening those relationships. Give us courage when we need courage. Help us to set our mind and our heart on how you want us to grow, not on what our struggles are, what our inadequacies are, what our brokenness is. And help us to be intentional about making those relationships stronger. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.